Howdy, folks. You're listening to the High Res, Low Res podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Fischel. Our next guest on the show is Victoria Black. Victoria Black is a senior art director and freelance designer. Victoria's freelance clients include Gray Advertising, Art Directors Club, Simon & Schuster, HarperCollins, and McMullen Publishers. In this podcast, Miss Black talks about working as a designer in the book publishing industry before transitioning into doing design work in advertising. We jump around to a lot of topics from plant-based food, veganism, vegan culture, getting into therapy, becoming a member of the Satanic Temple, email music throughout the years, and I talk about mixing up Gene Simmons and Richard Simmons at one point in the podcast uh, when I was on a hot topic, and uh, my favorite Mr. Rogers conspiracy theory that is definitely not true. Victoria and I have been friends for years and are definitely going to be talking smack in the group chat later on after this publishes. Also, I say secret sauce a lot near the end of this episode. I really have no idea why, and I'm just going to apologize right now for that. If you liked our conversation, please rate, comment, and review the podcast, and be sure to subscribe to the show, too. If you have any questions or comments, please email me at goodbadjpeg at gmail.com. That's goodbadjpg at gmail.com. One correction I want to make before getting into this episode, I mentioned uh, somewhere in like the beginning to middle that uh, 90% of the book titles uh, in the Penguin Random House Discovery case uh, does not turn a profit or sell more than 2,000 copies and that only 10% of their books are actually profitable. Um, I sourced a New York Times article in the show notes along with a bunch of other show notes uh, that's actually closer to 34% of their titles actually turn a profit while 60, 66% of their books are less profitable. Uh, also, a fair warning to parents who listen to this podcast with their kids around. While I do censor most swear words, some of the topics brought up on this pod are probably a little bit too spicy for their ears. So um, just so you know. Anyway, here's my conversation with Victoria Black. Two, two Sagittarius is just hanging out on a... On a podcast, <laughs> nothing can go wrong, right? We're just you're just chaotic like Dreams that. Coming true. I was going to say it's going to be so much chaos. <laughs> no, probably not. Probably not. Anyway, uh, I want to congratulate you on your vegan anniversary. Thanks. How, how long? Great. How long is it? How How long has it been? Uh, it's going to be thirteen years. Whoa. Uh, I, yeah. I I think it. Uh, I think it was like. 2015 2016 i went vegetarian and then kind of pivoted to pescatarian because like my doctor was basically just like yo um either you take like omega pills for like whatever that does in your body or you start adding fish to your diet every now and then because uh, like all your stuff is like all over the place i'm like all right and I, I tried taking omega pills for a while and that was awful. So I was just like, ah, it's like sometimes I'll eat sushi. It's not a big deal. Like whatever. Or I'll have like a salmon rice, you know, you know, sheet pan of like, uh, some kind of, you know, 
squash and broccoli situation and it's delicious. I don't know. That sounds so good actually. I do actually miss miss fish. Oh but yeah. It's okay. Eh, it's fine. I mean all like all the meat alternatives that they've had, um, like come out has developed so much since like the you know, veggie patties of like the nineties to like now, uh, with everything they've come out with and all the restaurants that have like really come out and you went to 11 Madison park, the, you know, famed restaurant that went completely plant-based, um, like a year ago and everyone freaked out about it. Yeah, it was amazing. Um, I feel very blessed that, uh, two of my friends treated me for, uh, my birthday and my V anniversary. It was unreal, um, but it's also so nice, in my opinion, that, you know, a Michelin star or, you know, big food place will go plant-based to sort of spread awareness or, like, spread a message. Um, and I remember all the upheaval where people were like, I'm not going to go there, as if, like, that that's a casual thing that you can, you know, it's like a $400 meal ahead, like, Mm-hmm. Were, were many people saying that actually ever going there? Um, it was fantastic, though. It was unreal. I really like food experiences. Mm-hmm. So this, you know, it's like very tiny, uh, but very impactful, flavorful. And it was like six courses. And I don't know. Everything was thoughtfully plated and thoughtfully curated. Um I got to go in the kitchen in the back to like Ooh. see everyone work. It was amazing. That's very sweet. Did they, did your, your friends like, a, like ask someone to take you back or did they just kind of offer that? Uh, <laughs> the joke of the night was that my friend uh, threatened the entire staff to make this night amazing. Um, <laughs> she didn't, but <laughs> uh, I think it was pretty palpable that, I was happy to be there and, you know, like schmoozing with a waiter and this and that and asking a million questions about like cutlery and uh, yeah, how many forks do they go through a night? Um, and I, <laughs> I'm sure they got the hint that I was like about it. Um, yeah. It was an experience though. I, it's one of those things where I don't know if I ever want to go back cause it was so perfect that I know right. it can't be replicated. So, well, I but. mean, it's also like one of the those vegan spots that are like on the high end, high price like level. Oh yeah, it um, it's definitely an occasion situation. <laughs> it's definitely not like <laughs> oh, I'm just gonna go there on a whim every Friday kind of thing, unless you have like a lot of money kind of thing. Unless you're a sugar baby and you meet your sugar daddy there. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that. Uh, <laughs> But also, um, you know, a couple of years back, you and I went to uh, Dirt Candy and we tried that place. And it just recently got a Michelin star as well, uh, I think, uh, in the last couple of months. Uh, What did you think of Dirt Candy and how does it compare to Eleven Madison? First of all, how great is it that all these vegan plant-based restaurants are getting Michelin stars and getting recognition? Uh, Yep. Amazing. Um, two different experiences altogether. Um, I really like dirt candy. I'd say it's a little bit more laid back, a little bit more approachable. Mm-hmm. Um, 
the food is just so different. Like I remember we had that, like, I don't know, flash fried broccoli. And that was one of the most wonderful things I've ever tasted. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I could definitely see, I, I don't ever really approach or have a food thing that I don't like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like most food. Um, if it's in front of me, I'm, I'm likely going to like it and eat it. I would say, you know, for the average person, definitely dirt candy is the way to go. Yeah. It's a, like a little bit more novelty, um, you know, more cute and fun. It would be a lot easier with a crowd. Um, 11 Madison Park is very intimate and very like, I don't want to say high strung, mm-hmm. but it's a little high strung. <laughs> it's a, it's a place that you, you show up you know, in like smart casual, like, yeah, yeah. It's, it's not, it's not something you show up in like a pair of shorts and like a, and like a t-shirt. It's, it's definitely like a place that's a little high end. You want to be high end. When you you want to be dressed, mm-hmm. but um, yeah. Yeah. So what, what does veganism mean to you? Uh, veganism is very, I think everyone has a different feeling or approach. Um, I've recently been informed that I'm not a real vegan and I'm mostly just plant-based. Uh, I guess real vegans, I don't think it's even possible to be a real vegan. Um, I had a conversation with a real vegan one time. Yeah. That's like the whole, like... Um, you know, there's no such thing as ethical consumption, you know, because it's all unethical. So you basically are just making a series of like the, you know, choices that's like the least devil choice of like places to buy from, you know, um, in a way, which is interesting. I've always felt like people that say that like, oh, you're just plant-based. It's kind of like you're trying to put you in the same category as people who are flexitarians, you know, oh, yeah. people who do meatless Mondays, you know, Half-assing it. yeah. Yeah. And it's like, uh, I don't know. I, I feel like there's a couple camps. I feel like you have the camp of people that just, I, I, I correct me if I'm wrong. Like you want to be healthy. So you eat healthy or and healthy ish. So, you know, you prefer to eat just all plant-based and just all that doesn't mean you're going to eat a bunch of soy stuff or whatever. It just, that's what it is. And then you have like, you know, vegans, how I kind of knew them in college where they were not just like eating vegan, but like everything had to be cruelty free from like wearing pleather to like, just like consuming stuff that is vegan, uh, you know, to the best of their knowledge. And then you have like the other end where you have the activist where, you know, they're going to, you know, tell you how like, you know, eating that chicken sandwich is murder and, you know, you know, vegetarianism, you're still eating eggs, blah, 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 blah. Or they'll even or even on the end of like they'll go and like throw red paint on someone wearing a fur jacket. Yeah, I know. (laughs) I can see you that always eyes. accomplishes so much. <laughs> I know. Uh, or like going to like factory farms and showing how like awful things are. Um, and it's like, I don't know. Like, I, I think that in a sense that no matter where you kind of fall. Oh, you even have like the people who are uh, 
what what was it called? I, I dated someone briefly who was, they were a, they were a type of vegan where. Like a vegan? I don't know. I don't know if we, <laughs> no, I don't know if we could no. <laughs> uh, you, you do whatever you want. Uh, anyway, never mind. Uh, but yeah, they were like, I, 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 I don't know. Like I took them to a restaurant and they, uh, they had vegan options, but they weren't like, oh, she was raw vegan. That was what it was, which is like, you only eat vegetables and no like plant-based substitute stuff. And I was like, cool, 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 cool. So yeah, that was fun. Anyway. Um, but yeah, so I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I think, I think it's really cool that you, uh, have kind of made a decision like that and all that. How, where, where does, uh, it kind of come from, from you personally? Is it, a reaction to kind of growing up uh, and eating kind of what you've ate or? Uh, yeah. When it first, when I first started the uh, journey of going plant-based, um, I was in college and I was, uh, I hate this term, but I was like being uh, approaching being overweight, which I don't even know what that means anymore. Yeah. Um, but uh, my doctor was like, you're on the track to becoming pre-diabetic. And I was like, oh, hell no. Um, I did a lot of research for like a month. And I was like, well, what, what could I do? Because obviously, uh, you know, something isn't working. And I just sort of like decided that, you know, I'm going to go vegan. I'm going to see how it works. If I don't like it, I'm just going to stop. And that's fine. Uh so I slowly sort of built up to the idea and then cold turkey, I was like, this is my last meaty meal. Mm-hmm. Um, it was on a Tuesday. And then the next Wednesday, I was like, well, I just don't eat cheese or dairy or meat anymore. Um, and at any point, I still am like, if at any point I want to deviate, I will, but I just haven't. And it's worked out well the health game has been improved. Um, and then also, I don't know, uh, this is so hippie, but I don't really want to eat something that's like dead. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's just like a weird energy. Um, and then I know people are like, Oh, well plants were living. Yeah. Well, that's all, that's a whole other thing. I I think like you and you and I are very similar in that. Like I was just feeling awful. Uh, and I think I was like in my mid to late twenties and, um, I, I just decided I just needed to make a change because I just kept eating, eating. And then afterward just would feel tired and just like, it's like every meal, every like meal felt like a, like a food coma in a way. Yeah. yeah. And as much as I love just like anyone else to, you know, I used to love getting like steak and eggs for breakfast at like a, at a, at a really like hipster place. Mm-hmm. just because like that's fun but yeah. uh like it's it's such a like off-putting like thing just showing up with freaking steak and eggs while everyone else is eating like a regular egg kind of like toast meal or whatever like i don't know it's fun but uh but yeah i don't know like 
I, I just was like, you know what? I, I just need to make a change. And I feel like I, I definitely dropped weight. I think I was like 230 something pounds. And then whenever I started eating like healthier, healthy-ish in a way, uh, I'm I'm now down. I kind of plateaued. I'm kind of some bouncing around like 190 to 200-ish. And my doctor still complains to me. My endocrinologist, I, I have an appointment with him in about a week or two, he's definitely gonna be like, Daniel, you're, you're not there yet with your AC one or your BMI. And I'm be like, I know, like, just... it was the holidays. Don't <laughs> suck your dick. Yeah. Hell? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Uh, I mean, I am diabetic, so I, that's like a whole other thing I'm, I'm, I'm worrying about now. So we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. <laughs> well, I think you're doing great so far. Thanks. Uh, so, <laughs> You, so you're from New New Rochelle, New York. How, how does your how did your family take uh, you going vegan? Because they're like all Italians, like just straight <laughs> up, like meat loving yeah. Italians. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, they didn't love it, and they were like, "This won't last long." Um, and nothing motivates me more than someone telling me something I can't do something. Um, <laughs> so cut to like 13 years later, uh, yep. still vegan. Um, God, my grandmother is obviously she's old. She's 91 and she's from a very different generation. Yeah. And she's always like, do you, do you just want like a bite of this pork sausage? <laughs> I wouldn't tell anyone. And I'm like, it's okay. It's not about that. <laughs> I don't want it. And she's like, just it's fine. You're still vegan. If you just have, just have like one, uh, what? Um, I don't know. They've warmed up to it. They don't love it. That's yeah. okay. Um, I don't know. I'm very pro everyone making their own choices. Uh, I would say the relatives really detested me getting like piercings and tattoos a lot more than the vegan thing. Oh yeah. 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 But that's everybody. Yeah. I mean, my, my mom has been really nice, uh, where she prepares me something like on the side of like the whole meal for me, which is really sweet. Uh, so I'm not eating like turkey or chicken or whatever. They're preparing me like, you know, either salmon or some kind of plant-based kind of like meat of some kind of my choice. And I always send her money because like, you know, I mostly I, I eat the plant-based like meats and stuff sometimes, but it's mostly I'm eating like vegetables and some kind of like rice dish or something like that because, you know, too much of like a impossible meat is like not healthy for you. Yeah. When impossible first debuted, there was like a month of my life where every day I ate something that was impossible based and I was like, dang, I feel like shit. Yeah. <laughs> Tasty, but... I know. I I mean, there was a point where I I was getting the Beyond uh, sausage patties for breakfast, but it, what's better and tastier is the Trader Joe's plant based sausages. Uh, so you'll get them cheaper, and I think that they're much more delicious. But I want to kind of pivot back. So you're, again, you're from New, New Rochelle. Are there any artists or designers in your family? Or like, really, why did you choose to go to art school for design? Uh, nope. No one in my lineage that was creative or artsy. Um, honestly, 
Uh, I've been drawing since I could hold a pencil. Um, and I was not good at anything uh, other than art uh, growing up. Um, I cheated on every, you know, academia test that wasn't related to art. Um, and I stand by that decision. Cool. Uh, because nothing matters. Uh, cheat your way through life. Everyone's at white men do it. So <laughs> <laughs> um, I <laughs> went to art school. Uh, what? made me feel super good though it's like i at sva i went to sva um and they make you do this like interview after you submit your application and oh, i, I want i want to know this because i went to school of visual arts as well but i went to the grad school program so this is totally new to me this whole like interview process after you get in or something like that or so well I, like this was back in 2007 um i'm old uh obviously things are different now because covid and all that shit but yeah i submitted an application or you know the 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 written application Mm -hmm. whatever and then um they do an in-person portfolio review and it's also like an interview as to like why you want to study there like what they try to sort of like place you with what your goals are um I had a full-blown panic attack beforehand because yeah. anxiety. Um, and I went in there and I had like, oh, like just massive paintings. And I was like, I, uh, this is what I have. And I showed them to her and the woman was like, oh, like you could relax. I could tell you're very nervous. Like you're, you're going to get in. Uh, just tell you right now, we are, we will accept you. Um, we just want to know where to like, what you what major you want to go into yeah. and i was like oh, okay um but yeah it was like a two-hour thing it was wild um i mean the i think like the closest experience i've had to that was i think it was like the beginning of my senior year of high school i i think it was like 2005 or 2004 i went down no it was it was a, yeah, it was the end of 2004, early 2005. I went down to Baltimore to Portfolio Day uh, mm-hmm. at MICA. And I interviewed with a couple of colleges down there. And that was fun, but also kind of terrifying because you have, because I was like, all I did was these like 36 by 40 inch like paintings and like massive freaking paintings. Uh, and so I was like, my mom and me were like carrying them around Baltimore. <laughs> yes, I think that's badass. You know, and, and showing my paintings and people telling me like, no, this is not good or whatever, or like giving me advice on like what to work on if I want to like uh, like actually apply. And you know, no one wanted to accept me at that moment. There's like, keep working. I'm like, ooh, all right. <laughs> And look at you now. Yeah, I mean, I, I I made the joke. I make the joke all the time when it comes to Micah. Micah was like my first choice school. And they uh, they didn't accept me when I like formally applied to Micah. Okay. But then years later, I ended up giving a talk at Micah. And I was like, just so you all know. I, was I, wasn't, I, I wasn't good enough to be accepted to go here, but I'm good enough to <laughs> t- talk about 
life as an illustrator to you all. Just want to put that out. Just a little oh little spitefulness, just to put that in the mix I before like I give this talk. It was it was very fun, uh, and all that. That must but have felt so good. It was it was definitely uh, it was definitely like a fun little moment. Anyway, so what made you decide to uh, you went into advertising and graphic design as a dual major? I did. Um, I sort of played the system hardcore. Um, I uh, want to, they make you like take both advertising and design like foundation courses. And then you kind of get the choice. You could deviate, you could do both. Um, and SBA is a shitload of money. And I, I mm -hmm. sort of, I just wrote an email to the whatever co-chair of the departments and I was like hey I just want to take all of the typography courses and none of like the foundation graphic design things is that allowed <laughs> for the $40,000 a month price or a year price tag and he just wrote back sure sounds great <laughs> what <laughs> Uh, I was like, this is why rules don't matter and nothing matters. Um, <laughs> so that's what I did. And I don't know, a little bit I'm kicking myself because I'm like, should I have had more of like a foundation basic graphic design? But it really doesn't matter. Um, I mean, you can just pick up a pick up a copy of Thinking with Type and you, you'll be fine. Uh, like, yeah, I was going to say, I have Paul Rand's, uh, you know, a designer's whatever book. And I was like, this is fine. I'm good. Yeah. Um, so, so was SVA your only choice? Yeah. <laughs> oh, interesting. Um, I have an everything or nothing sort of policy. Oh. Uh, I did early decision, and uh, <laughs> I was very much like, if this doesn't work out, who knows? <laughs> so you didn't want to choose like FIT, which would have been obviously a cheaper choice, or. Um, I did FIT for pre-college. Uh, won't lie, like, maybe no. that would have been it. It would have been like a a, a solid backup. Um, you know, yeah. I never got to the point of like having a crisis, and I'm sure, you know, it was like early decision accepted, yeah. done. Uh, but yeah, I would have totally considered. I mean, FIT mm. purchase. I, I've been like, I don't know, um, online. I had like a whole like Twitter thread where I was like, like, listen, if you want to go to school cheap, move to New York and go to FIT. Yeah. Not because like a lot of the people that everyone kind of complained about when it came to faculty and all that being like too old and not like up to date, a lot of them have retired and like they brought on a lot of new instructors, a lot of them being my friends both in the undergraduate and graduate programs. And like, I think that like anyone that goes to FIT's like specifically illustration department uh, or the MFA illustration department, they'll have like a degree at a discount compared to like oh, SVA yeah. or MICA or any other, like them. I would say like the quote unquote, I would call Ivy league of like major art schools. Uh, other than like, there's like a handful of state programs that I also recommend people, but, um, but yeah, that's interesting. 
that you just was like one and done. Was there any instructors that really um, made you like helped you out or made you like you learned a lot from mentored you in any way? Uh, yes. Um, two people come to mind. Uh, one was my typography teacher for like four years. Um, his name is Richard Mel. Uh, he was a really great instructor in the sense that he never like reprimanded you or pushed you in any direction that was like forceful. Like you have to do this style to do my style. It was very like, I'm going to guide you to where you need to go and wherever that is, I'm sure it's going to be great. Um, you know, with like some backbone of like standards, like do not do X, Y, Z, do not do that. Like that's fucked. Um, that was, he was a very influential, uh, instructor. Um, also crazy talented. Everyone was crazy talented. Um, and then I hate that. I'm going to name two white men. Um, I mean, that's like basically almost every art school department. It's like all the instructors, except for like maybe two or three are not white men. They're, either women or like people of color and that's it. That's most art yeah. school programs. That is extremely disappointing, but there are like four white men, graphic designers who I used to look up to and now I can't stand. Um, they've been huge disappointments in my adult life. Anyway, mm -hmm. uh, the other one is uh, Kenny Colvin, who was the print shop, I don't know, not apprentice, assistant. Um, and I essentially annoyed him so much that he just had to tolerate me. Uh, he was like the letterpress assistant and extraordinaire. He was really cool. He gave me my first like stint into post-grad work. Um, really, again, really talented. Mm -hmm. Um so when you when you graduated from SVA, you weren't like worrying like where am I going to go? Like they actually helped you get your first gig out of school, or I spoke too soon. Um, no, <laughs> no one helped me get any gig. Uh, I worked with Kenny uh, making wedding invites and like menu design, oh, and cool. would sort of just get paid. Whatever, like it wasn't like a salary situation. It was just like a oh, it was just like a cut of like doing production work. Yeah, um, yeah, it was it was awesome. Um, but no, I a thousand percent was terrified, and I didn't have a job straight out of school. Um, I got a job in publishing, uh, and like this was right after the like huge recession. It was right when it was coming to like close. Oh, it was like 2008 or 2009? Uh, so I graduated in 2012. Okay. But this was right, like, right after the recession, like, insanity, um, when things were starting to pick up again, but still kind of on a, a lull, I would say. Yeah. Uh, so there was a lot of fear, just that I wouldn't find anything, um, mm -hmm. but took a job in publishing. Um. And it was one of those things where, you know, you're applying for months and months and months. And I just sort of took it. I was like, it's a job offer. It, it's a job. 
Mm-hmm. I just, you know, an immediate yes. Uh, very cool. Um, and uh, do you, did you like the work that you did? Uh, what, what publishing place house was that? Um, that was a place called Perseus Books. Okay. I think now, now they're called. Did, did, did you Books. like the work that you were you did there, or you weren't like fond of it and you kind of moved on? Um, I didn't get to design any covers. Uh-huh. It was mostly like house maintenance work. Uh, the main art director designed everything, and I sort of made sure that you know stock houses were getting paid, mechanicals were getting built. Mm-hmm. things were getting sent to the printer you know learn a lot oh so yeah that's that's actually like really good stuff to learn like the mechanicals yeah. the the admin stuff like that yeah that is super like that's really interesting and cool yeah it was a good first job yeah uh and then you worked there for like a couple months and then where where do you end up working at uh so i worked there for a few months and then I had a stint at a uh, hair company um, mm-hmm. called Miss Jessie's. Um, uh, a, a black hair company. A black hair company. Very I learned cool. a lot about black, black hair. hair. Yep. It was wild. Um, they had really great packaging, actually, which is what drew me to them. Mm-hmm. Um, I was there for another short stint. Uh, you know, when you're 21 and you're just kind of like, I, I was about to say, are you, is, is it like, you know, the first couple jobs you're acting like a classic millennial, just being somewhere for a couple months and then just kind of like moving on? Yeah. I mean, I hate to say this, but I was pretty aimless and I was like, I don't know. I'm going to just <laughs> do whatever. I'm going to see I, what fits. Yeah. I, I think that that's something that most uh, students don't realize, which is like, you know, you, you you don't have to have it all figured out like, you know, uh, and then try to be the most successful thing before you're 30. You can just fuck around and find out. I think no matter what age, no matter what job. <laughs> yeah. Fucker. Who the fuck knows? Try things. You don't know. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, anyway. And then after, after that, you uh, ended up at another publishing house. Before ended up going into the the big one I want to kind of spend some time on, but yeah, yes. Uh, um, so Skyhorse Publishing. Yeah, I was only there for a few months. They're really problematic. They um, published mm-hmm. that. Uh, who's that guy? Who's that famous shitty guy who married his stepdaughter? Oh, that's uh, Woody Harrelson. Woody Harrelson is no, not Woody Harrelson. Woody, oh Woody Allen. Woody Allen. Yes, so many, so many Woodies. I, you know, so let me tell you, let me tell you a quick story. I, <laughs> um, so uh, I was, I think I was in a hot topic <laughs> of all things, and nice. I saw, I saw uh, a kiss uh, mannequin, and. I was like, oh, like, or I don't think it was like a kiss like doll. I think it was, it might've been that or something else. And I I said it was like some other person's name. This is already turning into a bad story. Cause I'm, <laughs> I don't remember what their name is off, off the cuff, 
But I was like, oh, it's like so-and-so. And then, you know, my friends that were there with me and like a couple people around me were like, what the f*** are you talking about? <laughs> like, and I'm like, oh, is- and I like look at the label again. I'm like, oh, it's actually like their name is not that. It's actually this. Oh, okay, cool. Cool, 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 cool. <laughs> so, yeah, very, very similar uh, moment we just had there. Um <laughs> Oh man. So, anyway, so anyway, you ended up working at uh Penguin Random House for the last eight years. Uh yep. before now you're working in advertising. But um Yeah. So you started off working in children's publishing uh at Penguin. How was that? Like what was the experience like jumping into that after kind of chaotically working at a couple small publications in a brand and now you're here? Yeah. So, you know, I think this is going to sound a little dangerous. I think it's, I think it's bad to idolize a company, uh, Mm -hmm. just for any company, you should just never idolize that. Uh, and when I got the call from Penguin Random House, I was like, Oh my God, this is the big guns. I'm going to go work at Penguin Random House. Um, and you know, I said yes before I even heard like the measly pay. I was like, oh, blinded. Let's yep. go. Um, yeah, because you know, they notoriously they pay their graphic designers like high thirties, low forties, like k a year in New York City, and you have to commute to the office. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah. there was like a like a study that came out because Penguin Random House tried to ac- acquisition Simon and Schuster. And it was like 90% of their titles don't sell more than like 2,000 copies. And then the top 10% actually are the ones that actually make money for the company. That's probably super accurate. That's probably true. I'm going to put a link in the show notes um, on on that so that people that want to know about that, uh, that that was uh, some fun stuff uh, that you kind of learned from um, that kind of thing. So anyway, um, yeah. yeah, so the, they, they have money in the bank. They're just really making it. decisions on how to spend it, and it's not on their employees. No, not at all. Yeah. Um, there have been a lot of discussions that, I mean, I can't name names. Of but, course, yeah. You know, pay was always a huge thing, and lack of pay, and, you know, during my entire time at Penguin Random House, I was never promoted or, you know, given an actual, like, real raise. Um, that was interesting and eye-opening. Um, the only promotion I ever got was because I threatened to leave, uh, which I thought was really gross. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like to perform and achieve on my own merit versus ironically versus not like cheating your way through it. But Mm -hmm. um, uh, that's going to go against what I said about high school. But um, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. I I was about to say not to interrupt you, but um, isn't it true that like a lot of times the way to get a title bump or even a pay bump is to go quit working at one publishing house apply and work at another publishing house at a higher title. And then if you really want to go back, work at the other place after a year or two or three, go, go back uh, to the other place and then make more money in a higher title or whatever. 
of just boomerang around. Uh, yeah. yeah. And I was going off of blind faith and I kept being told, yes, you will get this title. You will get that money. You will get this. It never happened. Um, and then I, I remember this one colleague and this is nothing against the person. Um, they were an intern when I was a mid-level designer. Uh, they worked their way to junior designer. They left to go to a different publishing house. Nine months later, they returned and they were a senior designer, which was the same title as me. And I had about five years on this person. And I, that's when I was like, I'm, I'm going to lose my mind. Yeah. Uh, this is absurd. Um, I mean, I, it's unfortunate. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's like a, there's a joke on the internet where it's like, there, there are like kind of, there is like a meaning behind a title as senior designer, art director, creative director, all that. But, you know, sometimes you find out like, oh, like so and so is a creative director, but they're only twenty three. Oh and, yeah, everything. Yeah, up. yeah. It's yeah. I, I feel like um, there are a few people that actually have the the title of like creative director or design director. And they actually have like a lot of experience to actually like, yeah, accolades. Yeah, Truth. like kind of built up toward having that title. Uh, I feel like you could have that title uh, because of your vast experience and all that. Uh, but I, you know, because I feel like you know, unlike being an illustrator, like you do have to work up the ladder of these titles. Whereas illustrator. You are the illustrator and the CEO. Like, congrats. Like, <laughs> you, <laughs> you did it. You did amazing, sweetie. <laughs> you did it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, that's why I often say, like, you know, illustrators, they, they don't have a career. They have a practice, which annoys people because they're like, so doctors are in the same realm as illustrators? I'm like, no, 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 no. It's, it's a little different. Yeah. Uh, because there's no straight line path for illustrators, but with designers, especially in different markets, um, whether it's book publishing or advertising or whatever, there are like actual paths and you just got to figure clear through the fog and like kind of get through it. You do, or you have to like, you know, cheat the system, so to speak, which like it's, I guess it's not cheating if it works. Um, but yeah, you know, Mm -hmm. so you, um, so as as you're kind of like in your last year there, um, you know, you were looking at your, I remember talking to you and you were looking at your, your portfolio and you're like, I want to leave publishing. What did you do in preparation to um, uh, actually build a tw- portfolio towards like your next step? And what was your thinking on that? Yeah, so... Uh... I was feeling very like defeated in publishing uh, just because I had been like lapped around a lot and the portfolio that I had was just wasn't what I actually like was doing quote unquote behind the scenes or what I wanted to do. And then I just sort of kicked it into overdrive and I took, I took a continuing ed course at SBA because you know, like you get credit, why not? 
as an alumnus and I was like, okay, I'll do that. And then I also did like the, the design briefs.com where it just gives you a prompt. And, you know, when I got one, I was like, fuck it. All right, this is what's happening. And I think the beauty of the internet <laughs> and your portfolio is that you kind of get to be like one of those really annoying influencers and you just get to give the highlights, whether it's real or not. Mm -hmm. uh, so many people ask me if my portfolio stuff is like quote unquote real. And I just say yes, because it is on my portfolio and it, I really made it. Uh, was it published and does it exist? That's a different question. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of my work on my portfolio is killed work, it's personal work, self-prompted, uh, whatever. Yeah. And like that's your, the work that gets the most attention. Yeah, like your comics are something that I really fondly love, you know? it's Thanks. Yeah, it's, it's just really great. How did you start thinking about making comics for yourself? And what was kind of the genesis of where it started and, and where is it now? Um, yeah, my comic, uh, I'm not a great uh, voice communicator, I say, on a podcast. Um, it takes me a long time to get what's in my brain, like, verbally out. Um, but drawing, I could do very easily, like, it's just a lot easier and more natural. Um, so my comic just became a way to express myself, which is a little dorky. But, uh, you know, like all the funny, awkward things that when they're happening and they're not funny um, and they're terrifying and uncomfortable could be way funnier when you take a step back and you reflect and you draw it out and you're like, what the fuck was that? Uh, <laughs> and then it's funny. Um, and then it's interesting. And ironically, my comic has made me um, $0 and cost me lots of money, but that's okay because most how, how people... did it cost you lots of money? You just post it on Instagram and you have it on a website. Uh, and it's, and I have to pay for Photoshop, and I have to pay for brushes, and I have to pay wah, for my wah, sticker wah. and of my Of course. Magnet, okay, 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 Victoria. But those are all tax write-offs <laughs> that you do design work with. Come on. I don't know. Maybe it's I'm just different. Maybe I'm just splitting hairs now. <laughs> I mean, I get it. It's, I would say it's more like a time investment. But, yeah, um, yeah. It's, what I find so interesting is that even, like, the people who hire me professionally to do – design work are like lols your comic is so funny and mm -hmm. i'm like that's great just so you know everything i do professionally won't look like that yeah um, um yeah. so you know on top of your your, your comic and you, you okay so let me kind of like take it back because i'm i'm take it back. Go, going a little off the rails here so you, you took some you, you took some classes happens. you did some design prompts uh, yeah. and then you started interviewing at different advertising agencies. Cause that was like your main focus all along after, after kind of doing all this personal work, class work and all that. Yeah. Uh, I got rejected from a lot of places. Mm -hmm. Um, that happens. I had a lot of interviews and I also did this thing where I, you know, when you're moving and you got to just tell everyone I'm looking for a place, I'm looking to move. Uh, I was just telling every single person I knew, I was like, I would like to get out of publishing. I want to work at XYZ. If you know of anything, mm -hmm. please. Uh, and I was at a party um, and I was talking about this and 
um, a friend of mine was like, I work in advertising. I could see if I could get you an interview, like if you're mm -hmm. really interested. Um, and I kind of thought that that was them just being kind and entertaining the thought. And I was like, LOL, okay. Uh, and then there was follow-up and then I did start working in advertising. It's, it's weird how things, you know, like mm -hmm. kind of like what we said before, you have no idea what the fuck is going on or who knows what, yep. like you have to just sort of put it out there with no expectations. Right. Um, and that's great. And then once you kind of got in the door and you got a, a gig in advertising, it was, did you, would you say it was easier to get your, to leave that place and then you went on to another place where you're at now? It was very hard to transi transition from publishing to advertising. Okay. Um, it sort of like hit me like a train in a good way. Okay. Uh, like, I guess I learned how quickly I could pick up different like operating systems, different skills, different way of mm -hmm. doing things. Um, granted, I did leave that agency that I like transitioned from to yeah. my current Spot, and that was a lot smoother. Right. Um, I think that's just like awareness. Everything isn't as stark. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And your title is senior art director. And, you know, uh, what are some of the things that you're doing now? Uh, you don't have to name like specific brands you're working on, but like what, what is it that you're exi like working on right now? Oh, man. Like, a little bit of everything. Um, mm -hmm. It's so different than publishing in the sense that publishing is very regimented of like, you're going to work on this book cover or this title and you're going to work on that again next season. You're going to work on a different thing um, versus advertising. You could be working on a spectrum of items all across the board, whether you're working on a commercial or anything from like banner ads to TikToks to social media to building websites. Uh, the breadth of work is just so much more extreme. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's so, like literally everywhere. It's like the full... Just, uh, all of it, yeah. Thing. Yeah. And um, what... So I guess to kind of give some perspective for people who don't have like an idea, what was the kind of hours you kept working in book publishing versus the kind of hours you're keeping in advertising? Um, definitely different. Uh, yeah. Publishing was nine to five. And for the amount of pay that I was getting, I think that that is extremely fair. <laughs> <laughs> um, versus the hours now, you know, fluctuate in and out from, you know, 930 to six or 630. It kind of depends. It could go late night. It's all like kind of dependent on what's going on. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just so, I think it's so extreme and interesting and different. And I don't know, I have, I have heavy, heavy thoughts on the publishing industry right now. I'm sure everyone yeah. does. Well, right now, I think like the most exciting news in publishing is the Harper Collins, um, union. <laughs> yes. that union drive, yes. which is very fun. Uh, do you have any thoughts other than like, yes, please. Like let's, let's have a union in publishing. Yeah. 
I like obviously yes please. Yep. Um, I hope that that happens. Yep. It's long overdue. I think publishing needs a complete overdrive yep. as to how they do things. Um, and I've said this before, uh, not publicly, but yeah. So many people I know are new in publishing. This is just a general truth. So many people who are happy taking low pay and, you know, just kind of like, do, 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 do my little publishing job, yeah. uh, have a partner or a spouse in finance or tech, making bank with great bennies. Like, that's okay. But there, there was this interview where an editor, she said this, I think, in like Vogue. Oh. Of all places, she was like, I'm happy with my $30,000 salary. I don't need more money. I like my hours. And like my husband bought us our penthouse apartment on the west side. And I just, I just don't need anything more. I don't need a raise. I don't need a lot. And I just remember reading that and I was like, this is it. This is the problem. This is so many people that work in publishing. Mm. And that's just not sustainable. They're all white, by the way. Yeah, I mean, that's like a whole conversation when it comes to generational wealth and all that. Yeah. I mean, right. You know, right. In, in other pod recordings, I like mentioned that like I don't come from wealthy like upbringing. I mean, you don't. I know, right? Surprising. Why are we talking now? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I like I. You know, I've mentioned before. Like I, you know. Most of my life, I grew up in a trailer park in central, South Central Pennsylvania. My mom lived on disability checks, and my stepfather, you know, uh, he worked as a truck driver. And, you know, we had a lower middle class up, upbringing, um, you know, where it was like, you know, the typical life of, you know, a family that made like around sixty, seventy thousand dollars $70,000 a year or more. Uh, and like, you know, lived okay, you know, had, you know, uh, brand new ish cars. Like they were like, you know, five, 10 years old. Uh, so they were like, you know, good and modern and, you know, food on the table and, you know, clothes and all that. And once I got to a certain age where, you know, my, my tastes were more, champagne on their beer budget i ended up just buying my own clothes and just being like oh, i'm just gonna go do this you know and uh yeah. sorry mom i'm gonna buy my own janko jeans like you know, you, you know I'm, I'm not gonna go and buy wrangler jeans anymore or whatever so uh so you know it, it's funny uh did did you know what kind of like upbringing did you have uh and in like you know because I, I have friends that like um you know, they don't have student loans and some people do. I don't know. Like what, what, what's your situation? Like if you feel comfortable talking about it. Yeah. I don't know the like tears of yeah. the verbiage, but I guess like, I don't know, upper middle class, I guess. Mm -hmm. I, like I would say my family's comfortable, not slinging dollars, but yeah. you know, going to be fine in the most part. Like, I mean, yeah, I went to like a ritzy school, but yeah. you know, yeah. And now it's like $60,000 a year, which is absurd. Yeah. And no art school should ever cost that much. It just shouldn't. But, um, right. yeah, I, 
Well, I mean, my whole thing about so I'm very, I'm very pro art school. Um, obviously, I work at a couple art schools, <laughs> right, but right. So basically, like my whole argument uh, for art schools is that, like, look, the sticker price might be sixty thousand bucks, but after Pell grants, the school giving you merit-based scholarship and all that you're you're not really taking out student loans for the full 60 you're taking it more for like 20 or 15 a year mm-hmm. something like that and some people get full rides uh but if you come from a you know a life where your parents are making 300 bones 300,000 bones a year you know like uh you know you know obviously you're not going to get like crazy scholarships or anything like that though there have been uh I remember reading somewhere uh that there are like wealthy parents that basically what they do when their kids are like 16 or 17 years old they'll basically uh what's the word for like basically making it so that the kids are basically on their own and that like they're not with their parents or something like that orphaning no 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 no. it's uh (laughs) emancipation or something oh, like that, right, or, right. That's uh, the... like emancipating your kids, uh, where like basically like they are legally on their own, but they still kind of live there and live still with co- you. Yeah. And, and still do all that. And that's a way for them to kind of work around, uh, that so they can get like student loans and stuff. Be like, look, I make $0 a year and I, you know, my parents, you know, uh, emancipated me or whatever. Like that's, that's something that, uh, kids have done but it's a fun it's a fun it's a fun little thing uh on the end wow that's a real system right there oh yeah i know all right so you uh freelance as a designer as well Uh, what what kind of freelance work do you do uh so i get a lot of book covers for freelance um i think it's just a byproduct of being in the industry for so long. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's just a matter of like, you know, I, I hate like who, you know, but it's really just who you're exposed to. Right. Um, I get the occasional like illustration thing. Not always. It's not really my forte, but mm-hmm. um, I know that I'm a good book designer. It's just like, not that it's second nature, but I know mm-hmm. what people are looking for. I know what, exists it's like just a very seasoned thing uh so there's a lot of that um which is great it's a good balance from like doing my ad work to doing something like a book cover on the side um yeah it's a good it's a good mix i wish you know i wish uh everyone in the creative field I wish you didn't have to like categorize everything. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so much of what I did, particularly in like children's publishing, I got dubbed a certain category of designer, mm-hmm. um, which isn't, I don't think super great just because it, 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 you automatically limit someone by saying like, everything you do is feminine and you're going to do yep. all of the like cutesy girly things. Uh, cause your style is pink. Uh, yeah. You know, I think that's a dangerous thing. 
Um, but it happens to everyone. It happened to me in children's publishing. It happened to me in adult publishing. I think it's natural for a lot of people to do that. Like, uh, you're the person who does lettering this way, and we expect it to be that done way every single time. Mm-hmm. It kind of forces you not to explore as much or, like, take a risk. Uh, but that's a whole other thing about, like, time and capitalism and whatever. Yeah. But I mean, like, I made a really uh, strong choice at the end of 2019 uh, with my work because I got tired of saying, no, I'm not an editorial illustrator. I'm an illustrator. Like, I'm a commercial illustrator. I do it all. You know, and I basically just said, all right, like, I looked at my portfolio, my website, and I'm like, what is it about this that says editorial illustrator? And it's like, well, all the freaking squares are just editorial clients. <laughs> so what right. I did was I just was like, all right. And I just, you know, took all of the work that was editorial that I liked and put it all in one category titled editorial illustrator. And I just yeah. had that as like a summary of like stuff. I have like one or two other like buckets of like portfolios. And I'm like, these are things that i feel like I want to have them as their own thing and, and exist. And then everything else that is like on my, you know, quilt of, you know, little portfolio thumbnails are like non-editorial clients. And I made that distinct decision because I got tired of people saying I'm an editorial illustrator. Nothing wrong with that. I have a handful of friends that are calling themselves and they really reflect that in their being that they are an editorial illustrator. But yeah, I'm also of the same mind um, that when you work as an illustrator, you can work conceptually in it, and it doesn't have to be editorial. It can be a book cover, it could be a poster, it could be an advertising, it could be a lot of things. It, yeah, it, you know, conceptual illustration is not exclusive to editorial, though it's often kind of championed in that arena. So I don't know. I always get kind of tired when people are, uh, really try to be hyper specific on that level of being like you are only this market. Whereas, I think that you could use so many other you know words to describe someone's work, uh, you know, and all of the ways that they can approach different topics. So I don't know. I I completely agree, and I think as an art director specifically, it's also part of my job to recognize people's talents and how to utilize them in ways that perhaps they might not be used to or comfortable with. Like that's kind of how growth works for everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, oh my God. I remember last year I got this tattoo and the artist afterwards, he looked at me and he was like, I was really nervous about that one. I was nervous when you emailed me about it. And I was like, I wouldn't ask you if I wouldn't think you could do it. And not right. that I was art directing you by any capacity, but you just have to look at someone's work and then you have to visualize it. Like how do you apply it elsewhere to where it right. might be different or transformed? But yeah. I can really agree. There's, you should just never pigeonhole yourself or anyone. I want to continue talking about tattoos because, uh, you know, I want to talk about all the things that you're obsessed with. And tattoos is something that you are actually like 
obsessed with. I have tattoos. I have like two, two full sleeve tattoos. I have, I'm working on my legs right now. Um, oh yeah, it's fun. Um, has anyone like, uh, looked at you a different way because they saw your tattoos in the office or something like that? Or are you always fully covered whenever you go to the office or in zoom calls and stuff like that? Yeah. Um, it's unfortunate because I was definitely like, when I first started getting noticeable tattoos, I was like, people don't know me. It doesn't matter. It's like, it's whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I definitely think there's a different shift uh, in like an unconscious judgment. Um, whenever I first meet someone, especially in a professional setting, I try to keep it covered. Not that I'm ashamed. Simply, I just don't want any sort of uh, connotation being subjected to me without someone hearing me speak um you know but people who are chill and cool think that they're awesome uh more traditional people i you know i've gotten a a nod or two um i remember when i worked in publishing i met an author and someone who was above me was kind of like you could wear a sweater. And I was like, okay. <laughs> um, fun. Yeah. And I get it. I, I get it. I hear you. I think that things are changing. Um, you know, I would, I really want a neck tattoo, but I, the more I think about that, the more I'm like, is that going to invite so many more challenges mm-hmm. than is necessary? And you should just do whatever you want. It shouldn't matter. It does matter, though, I think, uh, just a little bit. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I think for me, too, I think, like, for 99% of the time, when it comes to freelance illustration, it doesn't matter at all. You know? I literally uh, just got, a couple of months ago, a literary rep, and now it's having me think oh, yeah. a lot about... Oh, thanks. I... I literally have been thinking a lot about this because I told myself that after I turn 35, I'm going to be open to the idea of if I've like hit certain marks that I'll be open to the idea of getting a hand tattoo or getting my hands done. Ouch. However, (laughs) (laughs) um, like, uh, now with me now, now getting into like, you know, children's and middle grade liter- lit lit and doing like book talks and stuff in the future. Cause something that I've, I've learned in art school um, is that you get paid X amount of dollars for the book in advance. And also after minus all the minus your 15 to 20% to your literary rep. And then you get paid on top of that for doing school visits and all that, you know, throughout a year which is a whole other income bracket yeah. and things that you can do as uh, a children's book illustrator. Um, uh, That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really awesome. I, I want to know more about that, but I'm not, at, I'm not there yet. There's a couple old instructors that have done that, that I want to talk to, but it's definitely made me think about, okay, if I am going to do that, you know, I know that like, um, like Kat Von D has, or some other company has 
like a tattoo concealer cream that you can get to match it to your Uh skin tone. And so if I did want to do that, would I want to like have that conceal like the hand tattoo up to like a, like below the, you know, the wrist or something like that so that I can be like in environments and wear long sleeves and stuff and, and read my book and all that with kids or do I just want to be more myself and all that and say, no, I'm, I'm going to go, I'm going to do it anyway. And, you know, it's going to be awesome because it's a learning moment for the kids that like not everyone that has tattoos is dangerous. It's just, you know, they're just eccentric. Uh, I definitely have a couple bad tattoos. I've definitely had blasted over with other tattoos. Uh, but I don't know. Who knows? But uh in general, I don't think that like the whole idea of having tattoos makes you a criminal or makes you look like a oh, criminal. No. It's definitely like all those like ideas not. have definitely changed for sure. God, I, I, yeah, I hope so. The, what you just yeah. mentioned reminds me of, I'm going to give you like a two second story. You know, Sasha Gray, my hero. Yep. She, uh, was at a school like several years ago, teach or not teaching, uh, reading a, to story time, mm-hmm. like a kid's whatever. It's part yeah. of her charity work, which I think is amazing. Um, and she transitioned there, from like, acting to charity work. Very, very cool. Yeah. She's very philanthropic. Um, yep. but she was doing that and it's not like she was, she's at a goddamn preschool. It's not like she was dressed like a porn star. She was yep. just there giving money to a school and they were like, do you want to read to the kids? And she said, sure. And then basically all of these parents were outraged. Yeah. And she couldn't even finish the story. She was asked to leave. She was escorted out. And I just think like what a, what a, what a missed opportunity. What a sad mm-hmm. thing, especially since like kids come from sex. Like, are you joking? Mm-hmm. Um and this person wasn't promoting anything weird. She was just existing. And I think, I don't know, it's sad when I feel like we're getting so progressive as a as a world, but then we're also regressing 10 times well, the past. That's, that's, that's neoliberalism for you right there. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, True. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, you know, uh, that, that's a whole other topic on like how, you know, unless you're just someone that just doesn't get a lot of fandom in in that world of adult entertainment, uh, you know, it, it's definitely tough to kind of transition back into like the other realm of normal, normie world, yeah. you no, know, know, pedestrians. But you should just not. I don't know. I'm a big fan of you shouldn't conceal who you are. Mm-hmm. I don't know, especially to like kids. Kids should see everything. Yeah. I mean, I, there's definitely some uh, glossing over uh, of like the full extent of what that is until they're a certain age where they can really know more of the fullness of that. But I, yeah. I totally agree with you on that. Anyway, now that we talked about that. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, yeah. So there there are other things that you're really obsessed with. Therapy is one of them. Um, how, how has that positively impact you? And like, what made you decide to jump into it? And um, yeah. Um, yeah. So I started therapy a few years ago. I'm sure everyone did when 
the pandemic really, I think everyone realized like shit hit the fan for everyone, be it personally, professionally, intuitively. Um, I started therapy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, I, I went into therapy thinking it would be one thing. And I was like, this is the problem. We're going to solve it. Help. Um, and when I started it and sort of, you know, started word vomiting all these things, you know, from like 30 years of just like experiences, um, you know, my therapist was like, oh, no, this is not the problem. In fact, this is much deeper and you need to like dig way further back and this is actually the problem and I'm sitting there like what the fuck are you talking about mm-hmm. no it's not and then when I start to you like tend to regurgitate your childhood when you start therapy and I just realized how much happened to me mm-hmm. um and I was like oh my god <laughs> I haven't digested a lot of this um and I just think a lot of the trauma that I went through, mm-hmm. I didn't realize was trauma. And you almost get to a point where you talk about your trauma so much where you're like, shut the f- about your goddamn trauma. Mm-hmm. Like, relax. I think there's um, like a, there's like a reductress like meme slash article that's like me. I told my friends a really funny hood childhood story, but they are all they felt uncomfortable laugh. afterward. <laughs> and, and I'm like, why is that? <laughs> yeah um turns out it's that, not so funny after all yeah i remember starting therapy and then telling my partner about it and he was like that happened to you that's not normal that's not okay and i was like yeah um, it is what do you mean yeah it we, wasn't we, that bad it, it's funny all the things that we keep telling ourselves was normal and then you know here we are yeah and when you wake up and you realize like that was bad that was bad and you need to talk about it um (laughs) yeah i mean just a lot of strange i don't know if you want me to go into it or not but like whatever you're comfortable talking about i mean i always thought or i should say i started therapy because i got into a huge argument with my parents and then i was like this has to do with um I lost a friend when I was 10 or no I was nine um she was 11 she died of leukemia and it was like very I didn't realize how traumatic it was um and I was also raised very religiously so it was a lot of like God just wanted her back she just had to go back to heaven and I was like what uh, it wasn't until like adulthood where I was like, that's not an answer that you yeah. should tell a person. Um, I don't know. And I'm not like blaming anyone, but it was never really resolved. But then when I started therapy, I was like, this is what happened. And this is why I'm sad. And my therapist started unpacking my childhood. And she was like, your anxiety disorder didn't start when you were nine. It started when you were in the womb. Um, I don't know. We just unpacked a lot yeah. of unconsensual Jesus exposure, mm-hmm. uh, growing up in a very strict household, a very religious household. Um, and you know, I had very controlling parents, which I'm not going to blame them. I'm sure they have right. their own shit, but yeah. Yeah. Oh, of course. 
Now, when it comes to therapy, does this therapist give you homework or is it just stuff to kind of like marinate on over the week until your next appointment? Yeah. So when I first started therapy, I had a lot of homework and I didn't want to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Ironically, or not ironically, unexpectedly, a lot of it had to do with my relationships, like my friendships and Mm -hmm. my relationship with my partner, my relationship with myself. Um, And it was hard. I didn't, for a while, I was very like, I'm not doing that, or I'm not going to have that conversation with my friend or my partner, and I'm not going to tell them this. And a lot of secrets or a lot of like, I think I'm very awkward, and I know I'm awkward uh, because I have OCD, and I'm like neurodivergent, whatever the that means. Um, and a lot of it was, you know, put yourself in an awkward conversation. Who cares? And I was like, I care, I care. And I don't want to do it. And I just don't want to make anyone else uncomfortable. And it was like, well, why do you think they're uncomfortable? Like, because they don't laugh when I say a traumatic story or something. Um, but when you are forced to do those things or you're forced to have uncomfortable conversations, uh, I've noticed that nine times out of 10, it's always a lot better than you think it will be. Yeah. Um, you know, I remember I had to tell my partner something. It was very uncomfortable. And I just started not really to ball, but I was just like, if you want to leave, that's fine. We could just break up right now and everything's fine. And I told you too much and it's just what it is. And you could just go. And he looked at me and he was like, that, I'm not doing that, but thank you so much for that piece of information. And mm-hmm. I'm not going to leave you because you said that. Like, right. what are you talking about? <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> Great. So therapy, I, I think everyone should be in therapy. I just recommend therapy a lot more simply because it helps you it it helps you understand you um and just helps you manage sort of how you react to a lot of things the biggest change for me in therapy is that so many things that used to bother me just don't anymore they don't even register um not that i don't care but it's just like eh, i'm too this is not worth the time or the energy or the space. Um, it's helped me edit my friends down a lot, which I remember like being in high school and not having many friends. And I thought that was really bad. And I was like a loser or, you know, I wasn't popular, but mm-hmm. whatever. And then when I got to college, it was like misfit city and I had so many friends and now in adulthood, there's like a social vampires that just like suck and suck and suck the life out of you. And I've just learned, Oh, you know, like maybe this friendship is just not that great anymore. And we could just, it's a little more parasocial. It's like, yeah, you know, it's uh, less about trying to get deep with you and more about just you being the fun experience to hang out with. Yeah. And that's, like, fine, there are friends like that, and that's great. Mm. But, yeah, like, my core has gotten a lot smaller, but I've noticed that 
I feel less guilt about it. I'm like, oh, I could just give all of my energy and space and time to people who actually want to receive it. And I could hold space for them. I could hold space. I sound like a psychiatrist and I could hold space for you. <laughs> um, but it's really true. I hate that it's so uh, woo-woo, but it is true. Uh, you got to protect yourself, but also recognize what's important at that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I hear that. So what got you, I play this is a hard transition, what, what got you into <laughs> astrology? We, we, I mentioned that at the very top, like, just two Sagittarius is hanging out right here. Um, like, where did that start? Was it like you were, you weren't really interested in it, and then at one point you're like, I need to find some clarity in my life, and then maybe astrology is like a fun way of looking at the ups and downs and challenges of that one person kind of goes through? Yeah. I mean, I guess this is going to sound again, like, what the fuck? Mm-hmm. I joined the satanic temple a few years ago and they're like a political religious. I don't even know if they're a religion at best, but mm-hmm. a political movement. Um, and then I got, sort of as a byproduct into gentle witchcraft again and i'm i'm very like that shit don't work mm-hmm. i don't cinnamon being blown in my doorway ain't gonna make me rich it's just no not. i mean like also <laughs> all those uh witches after trump got elected they didn't really do anything like <laughs> yeah. yeah or like manifesting was... is cute but yeah. <laughs> what what I don't know. Um, I'm very apprehensive about all that stuff. It's like great to ponder and think about, but every witch book I've read, it's been like, write down your goals and put it in a fire and then go out and meet someone that can help you meet a venture capitalist. I don't know. But (laughs) part of it was astrology. And I was like, uh, the stars, the this and that, does it really matter? The universe, who knows? But then I like started to read about, uh, I did my astrology birth chart yep. with the rising and the moon. Yep. Um, yeah. Moon rising. Yeah. Sun sign. Yeah. Sun, sun signs yeah. are Sagittarius. What's your, what's your moon and your rising sign? My, my signs are Sagittarius sun, Libra rising, uh-huh. Virgo moon. Um, that makes sense. Yeah, well, I was just kind of, when I got all of those results back, I was like, what does that even mean? Who cares? And then they were like, Sagittarius, chaos, really gets very into something and then drops it right away and has mm-hmm. obsessions. And Libra rising is all about like keeping the peace and they have uh, predominant noses and really small chins. And then Virgo moon tends to have mental disorders and OCD and they like things tidy. And I was like, why are you describing me? Stop. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then I like looked at my friend's charts and I was like, what the fuck is going on? Um, I don't know. Like it's fun. Again, it's fun to ponder. I'm like not super invested in it still. Like I'm not like, this is definite. 
I'm more just like, why the fuck is that so on the money? I don't know how I feel about it. It's a little too coincidental. Mm-hmm. But it's fun to look at and digest maybe. And it's also fun to blame your problems on mm-hmm. it. Like, oh my God, I'm a Virgo moon. So obviously this is going to bother me. Like it's, it's kind yeah. of bullshit, but also funny. It's it's always fun. I mean, I am a Capricorn moon and a Leo rising and Ooh, Leo. Yeah, I know. I'm all sorts of fun. But um I I've always just kind of like looked at it as like a gentle way of being like, "Oh, like this is what my chart said that happened last week. That makes sense." <laughs> like it's it's like a fun affirming thing being like, "Oh, it's like something like has an outside invisible hand in your life that you know, makes things a little weird. Um, yeah. It's fun. I don't know. I, I yeah, like it a lot. It's and it, it's kind of like, like getting into like astrology in like a, in a light way. kind of got me into tarot card reading in a very light way as well. Oh, I've never done that, but I oh, thought yeah, about it. It's fun. Next time you're over, we'll have to break out a set and then do that. Okay. It's fun. Sweet. Absolutely. Um, But yeah. And like, just like, you know, any time where I'm like, ah, I'm feeling a certain way and like, you're not trying to look for like concrete, like direction. You're just like, whatever. And then you just kind of pull out a tarot card set, shuffle it up, you know, with your left hand. I think that's a, you know, there, there's like a thing with that. I don't know. And then just kind of like throwing down some cards. And then, you know, I have like a tarot card app where I like, it helps me like read the cards because I, I can't, I can't like tell you what, you know, this card or that card means. So uh, it means like a certain way if like cards are like upside down and it's, it's all like a whole thing. And uh, I, it, it's really fun. It's a fun way to kind of like look at things in a not serious way if you're looking for a little bit of direction. Yeah, I would view it as like a going to a palm reader. Like, okay, this mm-hmm. is fun. Unless yeah. it's like you're going to die in seven days, in which case... um so uh another thing too is is that one thing that we when we started our friendship uh you know many years ago we connected a lot on emo music so (laughs) which is fun like what are some yeah what are some of the bands that you are really into whether they are you know the current wave or like a you know second third wave kind of like emo band I'm going to give an unpopular opinion right now. Yes. Um, for it. Like, I don't know any of the new, actually, that's not true. Uh, Meet Me at the Altar is a great all girl mm-hmm. band that everyone needs to listen to. Um, they are also, I think most of the members are women of color and they're just awesome. Anyways, I don't know what's contemporary or new, but I hate the resurgence of my chemical romance as like the top tier of emo music. Get the fuck out of my face with that i you know so i'm friend i'm loosely i'm friends with the guy tom tom who runs the podcast washed up emo podcast he's like a eight he's like an a and r guy that works at a record label and he's considered to be the sole historian of emo music okay he's he Uh... yeah he 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 has photographs, videos, and uh, collections of CDs, tapes, and records of every 
like first first second third fourth and i think the current like uprising of like the fifth wave emo movements and has written books on on emo that are basically just transcriptions of his podcast of them that i think polyvinyl uh you know published uh the infamous not infamous but famous um emo midwest emo uh you know record label out in champaign illinois i think they're in champaign illinois they're in illinois so um anyway he if you go on uh one of tom's websites which is called uh is this band emo uh and you type in my chemical romance it's like no this is not emo at all (laughs) <laughs> basically it wow it says my girl romance is non-emo band unlike high school emo has a history larger blah blah blah, blah, blah. okay yeah Great. that is yeah <gasps> are, are you learning something <laughs> i don't know if i'm an emo fan uh-oh this is oh no oh no it's funny because like there are some bands that are you know quote-unquote um emo bands and then there are some that are actually just pop punk bands that everyone just called emo uh which is interesting i'm i'm batting like 50 50 right now Mm -hmm. this is very eye-opening um the used and panic at the disco are not emo bands yeah they're pop punk Um, bands everyone knows that but, but silverstein and brand new are yeah. What about Bayside? Bayside is definitely emo. Yeah, they're like okay. part of this. Yes. They're part of like the screamo kind of like you know hint like uh, root of emo music. Yeah. Wow. You're gonna, t- I, you're gonna type I, in Thursday next. <laughs> I saw them. No, I saw live. I yeah. saw Thrice live. Oh yeah, Thrice. I think Thrice is an emo band for sure. Yes, they are. Okay. Yeah. Now, now you're like more in like the seventy five percent bracket now. Wow, I'm not cool. <laughs> Is Lincoln Park an emo band? No, they're new metal. Know. They're new metal. Oh. You can, <laughs> you can suck my dick. Uh, <laughs> what about uh, what's that band that what's his name is in Anthony Green? He's in so many bands, but what's the one like the original? You tell me. I'm gonna Anthony Green is in. Oh no, band. Sayosin. Yes, that's definitely an okay. emo band. Is it? It is an emo band. Yeah. Okay, according to that website. Anyways, I'm yeah. done with that because I'm gonna be upset and sad. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, uh, when I was growing up, most of the emo bands that I really liked were like first wave uh, and second wave bands and only like a handful of third wave bands like dashboard conventional and, and Thursday. I like kind of like really got behind uh, because, you know, I felt like, you know, dashboard was like a softer side. Whereas like Thursday had like a new element of emo uh in it that like made it kind of feel refreshed from like you know uh what uh you know rights of spring was doing uh with it so 
Um, You're way more um, musically knowledgeable than I am. I, I, I feel I, like a fraud. I, see, now. I, I'm a classic Sagittarius where I get really obsessed with something <laughs> for like a good year or two. And then I just kind of slowly kind of back away with it. Like right now I'm, uh, as many people will know from, uh, listening to this podcast, uh, over the last like year or two, I've kind of swung back around to like listening to ska music. Like I started listening to, I I I kind of like was aware of ska in high school, but I didn't really know have like a finger on like a specific band because there was like local bands that were like ska bands, and I always thought they were just kind of funny. Um, and then uh, in college, um, I heard my first Specials record, and I heard my first Fishbone record, and that blew my mind entirely. I was like, "What the hell." Like, you know, and I was like listening to like second, second wave, like an early third wave, like ska music kind of coming out. And, uh, you know, now I've kind of like gotten back into an interest of it because of TikTok of all things, uh, <laughs> you know, um, I, I, you know, uh, ska tune network, uh, came on, uh, to my for you page and, um, has got has really like in a way in a in a positive way has gotten me to you know to really learn a lot more about the history of ska it's not ska music is not like a bunch of white people that dress really funny and play horns and stuff that sounds kind of like punk rock but isn't uh it definitely has like a root in like anti-racism action and um the labor movement in england and uh it just has so it has such a rich history to it that I, I I've I've just kind of gotten really back into it. So now, like one of my favorite musicians right now is Jeff Rosenstock, uh, mostly just because uh, his music is really fills in the void of like all the nihilism that I really feel all the time <laughs> with his lyrics. But he uh, took his uh, last record. And re-recorded it as a ska record, and cool. yeah, and I was like, because I knew that there were like some ska records on, uh, on on his uh, on his uh, one record, so uh, it was really cool that he re-recorded it, and it got me to like really be like, oh, like let me go and like look at some stuff that I looked like listened to in high school and college, like Operation Ivy and the Specials and and Fishbone, and then. Now, now, kind of like turning on to other bands like, uh, you know, Bruce Lee Band and, uh, you know, uh, Streetlight Manifesto. I kind of like listened to a little bit in, in college, but I've now kind of like recircled back in last year or two, uh, like really listening to them. And it's really like, I'm like, oh, this is like the music that I need. Like this music that is super fun and, and it's like, uh, it's like pop music for old punks that like want something that isn't like pop music or pop punk, but is like something else that still has like a strong message that a lot of political punk and like hardcore music kind of has. And that's kind of fun. Yeah. yeah. I, I like that a lot. I don't know. It, it's fun. Uh, it's fun to like have something that just is so, it, it feels so fulfilling in a way that's, I don't know. It's really interesting. Oh, that's so nice. So many things are not fulfilling lately. So that's nice. That <laughs> no. something could be. I know, but you know, you're you're in therapy working on it, and I'm reading self help books and stuff because I know once I get into therapy, they're gonna be like, "Let's talk about your 
let's not. <laughs> let's not talk about that. I know it's a problem, and I'm going to try to deal with it. <laughs> so, yeah. Anyway, uh, lastly, uh, oh, when, before we move on, I, I do want to ask, are, are you going to see any upcoming concerts or shows, and you know, whether it's emo music or not? Shit. Uh, I saw a bunch of bands recently and mm-hmm. that was really great i'm gonna be real with you i am trying to save my monies for the hopefully inevitable announcements of the spice girls reunion and beyonce and rihanna and mm-hmm. it's going to be a very different year musically for me yep. but um concert tickets are just so expensive lately yeah the whole i would ticket master thing maybe, really yeah. Yeah, there Yeah, that's a whole thing too. I uh I I mean last last year in 2022, I uh I've seen uh I went up to state New York and uh my friend was having a birthday party and a couple of their friends have bands and we got to see them live. Um That's cool. I got to see Orville Peck uh which was a lot of fun, like yeah. gay, country, gay, gay country music. Why not? Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, and uh, recently, uh, about a month ago, um, or a couple months ago, this recording's coming out later, um, I got to see Covet, which is this, like, oh, amb- yeah. Yeah, this, like, ambient, like, rock, like, math metal, ma- not math metal, but like, math rock kind of band, uh, which is fun. The one thing that sucks is that uh, during that date, uh, one of my favorite math rock bands uh, out of Chicago, they're there, there, uh, they're on that tour, but they weren't playing that date. And I'm like, oh, I wish you came to Brooklyn. I want to see yeah. you live because uh, I got their new record in the mail and uh, I got it right like a day or two before it hit streaming. And I felt like I had a secret. It was, it was fun. It's always cool to get like a record in the mail that you pre-order yeah. and you get it right before it hits streaming. You're like, oh, I have a secret. No one knows about this. I have like the secret sauce right now. This is so fun. I, wow. I'm, this is not the same and I don't have a record player. So I'm a complete yeah. fucking fan. But when Cardi B and uh, Meg announced that they had a song together, I immediately pre-ordered the record nice. without hearing it because I knew that it would be great. Yeah. And I don't have a record player, but I still have the record. I'm like, so one of the greatest songs of all time. I So I, I have a couple hobbies. One of them is record collecting, uh, partly because I have like two thoughts on this. One, records typically are a work of art. Like if you get, if you spend a little more on the limited edition vinyl, like the when you pull it out of the sleeve, it has like a translucence to it, a color, whatever. It's always really freaking cool. I, I so I have the there's the, there's this band called Fucked Up from Canada, and uh, they have uh, a record called Dose Your Dreams, and I have this record where it's a clear record, and they like put like a a blop of like yellow and the way that it kind of spreads out in a weird way is like abstract and weird and i'm like i love this so much um yeah and it's like so it's work of art and two if any of the streaming services just all decide like collectively like 
no more or like imploding because they are not making a lot of money. Uh, I literally have a record collection that I started that I can be like, well, I always have my records and I have a couple of records. Uh... Yeah. I mean, I literally have a couple of records that do not exist on any streaming services except for YouTube. Like you could like, and they're like, uh, they're all, they're all cross punk bands. Like, let's be honest that they, they're most, some of them are on streaming, but most of them are not. Uh, so I, yeah, I started, yeah, collecting some of that stuff and it's very, it's been very fun. That's a good idea. That's very cool. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's my thing. But lastly, like, uh, another thing that you're really into is celebrity gossip and just celebrity news and stuff. I mean, I love it. I mean, especially because like you and I and, uh, our friend Carrie, uh, that we're in a, in a group text in, we, uh, oftentimes <laughs> talk about like the latest news with Pete Davidson <laughs> And... I thought you were about to say something so different. Oh, okay. Well, whatever. <laughs> I thought you were about to be like in like a uh, a throuple. I was going to be like, are we? Mm, no, we're not. No, we're, <laughs> we're, in a, we're in a group chat. No. Yeah, we're in a group um, chat. We're in a group chat. Which is the same thing as a throuple, basically. Yeah, I mean, emotion- um, emotionally, but not physically <laughs> or yes. romantically at all. Correct. Exactly. Yes. That's, that's what a lot of group texts are. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, I'm always like, ever since Ariana and Pete Davidson, I've, oh, I've been really on like the Pete Davidson, like news, be like, who's doing now? Like what's going on? Even yeah. though it's stupid, but it's fun. Like when you kind of like look outside of your life, which could either be really good or just really like stressful or whatever. And you just look at someone else's like stupid life that is a celebrity yeah. in the public eye. And you're like all right, good yeah. for him. Or, ah, you'll get him next time, slugger. Like, you'll, <laughs> you'll get, you'll date the next hot model and they'll see you for who you are, which is a very emotionally intelligent person and very open and honest and kind of quirky and funny. And I don't know, like that's, that's who Pete Davidson is. And that's, that's his secret sauce. That's his secret, right? Like he's just really emotionally available and all that. He's in therapy. So. He's in therapy. <laughs> Coming back around. Yeah. I saw him once in the street and we made eye contact and I was like, I mm-hmm. am, I understand. Yeah. I get it. I, I, I definitely, think. I definitely on the F train, I've seen Bo and Yang and that was very That's fun. cool. I like him. We, like we, him we, we caught eyes. I think he thought of me as like maybe a danger because I have that look on my face sometimes. I got to see Bo and Yang on the F train and that was a lot of fun. Uh, and I told my partner that and they were like freaking out. So, uh, seeing celebs in New York is always so yeah fun to me. It's so, I don't know. What are, what other celebrities have you seen? Cause I have only seen, I, I've only, seen, I, I can definitely say that I've only seen one, but my partner and I were at brunch or lunch or no, like an early dinner. Early, it was definitely an early dinner. And we were at our favorite restaurant in our neighborhood. And they swear that it was definitely Tessa Thompson. And I say it wasn't. Oh. So we are at a disagreement on okay. that. But the only other um, celebrity sighting that I definitely have kind of come across uh, 
was to my memory was James Franco. I, I seen him. Weir- I see him all the time. Weirdly enough, I, I seen him at the Met during uh, the Punk to Couture show that they were having a couple of years ago, uh, where there's like a bunch of Vivian Westwood uh, stuff on display. I know R.A.P. Uh, a couple months back. Uh, but yeah, it's, yeah, it was like all that stuff from like seventies to like up to now and kind of like fashion, high fashion and stuff like that. And the influence that, uh, you know, punk fashion has had on high fashion and general consumer fashion stuff. And I was like me with a photographer who's like a friend of like an art director that, you know, they couldn't come to the exhibit with, we were just chatting and, we look over and we see James Franco with like two other women chatting and stuff. And we're like, is that James Franco? I was like, yeah, it's James Franco. Well, that's crazy. I'm not going to go up and say anything, but that's kind of cool. Oh, he's like, over, he's like right over there. Yeah. Yeah. I never say anything. I'm just always like, Oh yeah. 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 Wow. They're what just like know? us. <laughs> yeah. They're just existing. How weird. <laughs> Uh, I always used to see James Franco in the West Village. I guess he went to NYU. Or something. No, he taught. I think he taught at NYU for like yeah. a semester or two. I saw him all the time. It and was then, weird. and then uh, everyone found out how much of a creep he was. And yeah, yeah. That's now how now that he, goes. Yeah, that's now, now here we are. I have that fear about Mister Rogers. It's so. It's an. <laughs> It's. I don't know why. I'm like, oh my god! I'm glad he's dead. I don't want to know. My favorite conspiracy theory about Mister Rogers is that the reason why he always had long sleeves on was because when he he uh, was a sniper when he did military service, and he has a skull for every like kill that he's made, and he has like almost a full sleeve of like skulls. I don't think that's true, but I like the idea of it. I like the idea of it too. <laughs> Watch, there's probably like some like photo or something that's gonna pop up onto my Twitter or DM me or something and be like, actually, An AI generated photo. Actually, here's a photo of him with short sleeves on. He definitely did not have that. But I like the thought that like he he is this changed man in the way that he is this like super anti-racist person who pushed boundaries within the children's like entertainment realm that like he decided to become this like calm, like loving, embracing, empathetic person who had a show on and broke boundaries because of like the horrors he saw in war (laughs) and all the making up for all the people he killed like as a sniper or something like that. And I, I don't know. I have no idea if he was in the military or not. I have no idea. I like I don't know. But uh you know, uh I'm actually gonna look that up right now because Rogers in the I feel like he's saintly. And he probably he, never yeah, he, he did not serve in the armed services. Perfect. Uh he Great. served though his dedication to his children in their e- education and emotional growth. Blah 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 blah. This is Rob. The archives.gov slash news celebrating Mr. Rogers. So there you go. He didn't serve the military at all. But it's a fun like idea that he, you know, yeah. he went from the horrors of war and now he's like, I'm a changed person. I have to 
do good compensating yeah compensating to do that which is like fun i don't know um very fun like any other like celebrity gossip that you're kind of like like i know julia fox is one that's always in in the news lately ever since they dated uh kanye west i like her i like her a lot i think she is she is like just she's all lately Mm -hmm. and she's like i don't give a and I don't care and nothing matters and yes I sell myself to whatever branding deal I think that that's awesome and refreshing and she doesn't give a fuck if she's honest about her plastic surgery and her treatments and she's also honest that like she's a privileged white bitch like, mm-hmm. like every time she speaks I'm like thank god someone is saying it I think like what she said about Kanye was I don't know. I think it's. I think it was a, a ploy and just like a PR stunt, which is also fine. Yeah. But I love that she's just like so anti men right now. She's just like, mm-hmm. eh, I don't even. I just need my vibrator, and I hate everybody, and I'll probably get killed for this, and that's fine. I'm like, who are you? She's great. Um, she's, de- love- she's definitely like a chaotic energy that I didn't know I needed until. I really got to like learn about them. And she wants the attention. And I think that that is so nice to hear. Like she doesn't beat around the bush and she's just like, yeah, I want attention, whether it's good or bad, who cares? So this podcast is coming out in the future, but to talk about it in present tense, um, what, what did you think of the Nepo babies article that came out? Ah, New York mag. You know, I think it's so, one of my favorite forms of entertainment is like shitting on really wealthy, privileged people. (laughs) Um, It's one of my favorite hobbies because it's just so easy. Like, I think, here's the reality. If I was a nipple baby, fuck yeah, I'm riding that train. I am doing whatever. I don't give a shit. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think it's annoying, like what Lily rose Depp said like what an idiot you're an idiot you can't say those things because you're just so out of touch um and i don't necessarily blame people for being out of touch but there's no excuse anymore i don't think in the world that we live in i think there's a real shift happening i would respect everyone so much more if they were like like i can't stand lily collins i just Mm -hmm. something about her bothers me and if she was just like, yeah, I got this show because I'm a half-decent actor and my daddy is Phil Collins, I'd be like, put some respect on her name. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but she's annoying about it and doesn't acknowledge that. And that's annoying and stupid. And I don't know. I think it's interesting. I'm glad that we're calling it out lately. Um, I also think it's interesting that we call out people who are Nepo babies and aren't successful. Like, mm-hmm. it's damn if you do, damn if you don't. But I don't know. So many, when I think about, uh, especially on TikTok lately, mm-hmm. Gen Z, I'm like excited and worried. They love the like skincare and makeup brands that are like Selena Gomez simply because it's Selena Gomez nothing against her but selena gomez doesn't know all about makeup you know i mean i, I, mean, I don't know that it. 
I, I don't know that Selena Gomez doesn't like. Oh no, she's not in the lab making yeah. makeup. I mean, I didn't know she had a cooking show until recently, and I started watching that. I'm like, wow, okay, like this is actually good. Which is fine, but would you watch that show if it wasn't if she wasn't in it? Yeah, I love cooking shows. So do I. I also love cooking shows, but I love cooking but also, shows when like, they were like. Also, they're, they're not going to put out, like, a cooking show unless there's someone that had a personality to it. Like, Gordon Ramsay has, like, so many cooking shows on Disney+. Plus, You know? But, like... Yeah. He's Gordon Ramsay, you know? He has, like, a British personality, swears a lot, and he's always censored, and the, the censor's always funnier than the swear word, and I don't know. I... Like, I guess I get it. And maybe this is why pop culture is just leaking into everything. But it's scary that you need a celebrity endorsement for everything lately versus something just being good. Like, especially when it comes to skincare, like uh, Scarlett Johansson made a goddamn skincare line. She Mm -hmm. doesn't. That's not what she does. She doesn't do skincare. A chemist is making skincare. Like, it doesn't have to have whatever, but what's scary and, like, another byproduct of working in advertising is TikTok and, like, Gen Z and celebrity things do sell, which is scary. But, like, I think it's interesting if you could use that and twist it in a more funny way. Like, Julia Fox did something with Uber Eats lately, recently. Mm And it was hilarious because she doesn't give a shit. <laughs> and yeah. that's what's funny. Um, but it's it's wild how it's just seeping into everything. Like the Britney Spears stuff. Everyone is now talking about Photoshop because of the Britney Spears conspiracy theories. And it's wild to me. Like everyone suddenly knows like what a clone stamp is. Like in the regular world where you're just talking about that casually while dissecting Britney Spears' Instagram posts. Um, I just find it so fascinating. Same with like uh, the Kardashians. I love, I hate watch them, but love it because they're so crazy. And I started rewatching Keeping Up from the beginning and Chloe was so good. She was so funny and they like ruined her and that's sad. But now, I don't know. Now they're all thin and now everyone's obsessed with being thin. And it's just, it's, I could talk about this all day. Oh yeah. I mean, it is, I mean, it's exhausting all the things that uh, yeah. we could definitely cover, but we are coming to the end. So Victoria, yeah. um, thank you so much yeah. for having uh, this conversation with me today. I really appreciate it so much for having me. I always love talking to you and I think you're amazing and talented and Oh my God. Boss ass dude. Oh my God. Sorry. Sorry. You. Sorry. (laughs) Oh, thanks. All right. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you.